1: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is
2: Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I am your host, Will McFadden. We've got a huge episode for you today, so I am not going to do a lot of talking up front, but just a couple of housekeeping items Uh, You can follow me online at Will McFadden on Twitter. Please like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And obviously today we're going to be talking about the Julio Jones trade that really kind of took over the NFL over the weekend. The Falcons are trading the former All-Pro receiver and a 2023 sixth round pick to the Tennessee Titans for a 2022 second round pick and a 2023 fourth round pick. So Falcons swap. They're sixth for Tennessee's fourth in 2023. But the big thing is they get a second round pick next year, and Tennessee is agreeing to take on all of Julio's contracts. So today to talk about all of this, I will have uh Jeff Schultz, who, you know, frankly, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know who Jeff Schultz is. But he's a senior writer for The Athletic who has been covering Atlanta sports for over 30 years at this point and, and is a huge person who is involved with this story. So We're going to, I'm going to ask him to kind of run through how everything developed, you know, the timeline for everything, what the Falcons got back versus what they were looking for. And then the second half of the show, I am going to talk with Brian Kearns, who you may not know, but is definitely one of my favorite people. He's a former coworker of mine from when I worked with the Atlanta Falcons. He was a senior director of communications and knows all of these players about as well as anybody could and just. Has some incredible stories, and then at the very end, we're going to rank our top five Julio Jones moments from the last you know decade plus that he spent in Atlanta. really sad that that he's gone, obviously, but as we're going to get into throughout this conversation, you know maybe maybe there's some reasons why everything went down the way that it did, and you know the Falcons can't be too upset, I think, with what they got back in return and we all love julio it it happened the way it happened, but Let's uh, let's learn a little bit more about how it happened. Here's my conversation with Jeff Schultz. Jeff Schultz, senior writer for The Athletic, uh, covering Atlanta sports, been doing it for a long, long time, spent 29 years at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, most of which as a columnist, you know, where I grew up reading your stuff, I was always a big fan. You have been, you know, instrumental in the Julio Jones news this offseason, especially over the last few weeks. Um, so first off, you know, Jeff, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks. Well, it's actually kind of glad it's all over now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I know exactly how you how you uh, feel. I, this was one of those few instances where I was like, man, you know, I'm, I'm kind of glad I don't have to drop everything that I'm doing right now and get a story up on this. Um, but I know that a lot of people did. You know, where were you yesterday when all of this news kind of went down? And as somebody who's been following the story as closely as anybody, you know, in the media, what was your initial reaction when you saw it was Tennessee that Julio was going to be dealt to and the deal that the Falcons were getting back?
0: So let me answer that second question. First. Um, I, I wrote a story, I don't know, four or five weeks back that basically was just meant to sort of melted down the internet. Although really, I was just trying to clarify how we got to this point. It's like, cause there were a lot of misconceptions and, out there. And I said, okay, the Falcons want to trade Julio Jones. Here's how we got here basically is what the story was, the column was. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it was within that story. I want to say, I might be wrong, but I think it was within that story that I mentioned Tennessee. And, um, the person who told me that has, I'm not going to say who it was, but it was a source who has been dead on, on everything this person has ever said to me, mm-hmm. um, and." When he said that to me, I was like, this, I I understand it from the standpoint of, you know, there's the Arthur Smith, Tennessee relationship. There's, you know, there's a, it's a team that thinks it needs a a Julio Jones type player to take, go to the next level, um, all this stuff. But just cap wise, I just didn't see it fitting into them. Um, So I actually threw that in there with like four or five other teams, along with the Ravens and the Patriots and the 49ers, whoever else I had in there. Um, and so the Titans and, but as more time went on, I realized they could, they could create this space. Uh, they could restructure a contract or two. They could get Julio, and Julio really made a lot of sense. So the Tennessee component did not surprise me, especially over the last you know few days where I was physically at the time was, uh, I have actually have a sister from California visiting. And, um, so I, I was trying to take a few days off this week. Um, my daughter's in-laws own a house out at Lake Oconee, that's where they live. And so we went out there for a night and I was in the process of driving back with my wife, my sister and her boyfriend from Lake Oconee, when the phone rang from somebody, uh, and, uh, I can see who it was. And just (laughs) was filling me in on where things are and things maybe I should know about the situation. And while I was talking to this person, another person was calling me. So it's like, okay, shit's coming, is happening now. Yeah. I'm on I-20, <laughs> basically. <laughs> actually, actually, I think I actually was in Madison at the time showing them Madison, Georgia, where we kind of went through there before we hit I-20 coming back. And then um, the second person um, kept talking and talking. And again, it was fine because I was getting information on stuff, yeah. but I was waiting for the conversation to end so I could hang up the phone and tweet. Now, theoretically, I could have probably, probably try to do both at the same time, but I didn't really want to do it. I was waiting for the person to finish up so I can end the conversation, tweet. And in that interim, Diana was seen to have ESPN. Tweeted. Oh, <laughs> so like,
2: That's so like one the one worst nightmare
0: of, thing. Yeah, <laughs> So yeah, it's one of those behind the scenes things that, you know, again, it's not that big a deal. I mean, I, I think people in the industry make a bigger deal out of the 12 second scoop than yeah. anybody else does. Um, but, you know, and I was sort of, Helping watch the Falcons this week for Tori McElhaney, who's taking a week off. And she literally was at the airport, uh, getting ready to fly to the beach. Uh, Lindsey Jones, uh, one of our national NFL writers, was spending a day with her kids. Her husband was off doing something else. And she was at a wall climbing place. And we're all supposed to be, the second the trade happens, we're supposed to get together and do this round table. So, yeah, I would say, you know, late morning, early Sunday afternoon was not a time any of us really ex- and wanted this to go down that it never works out that way though. It's, uh, it's always yeah. the,
2: all right. As long as it doesn't happen during this three day window, I'm good. The other yeah. 363 days a year, it can it's, happen. And it, it falls in that window every single time. Uh, so I, I definitely have a feel for you guys, uh, there, but what, what did you think about what the Falcons got back in return? Because it seems like a lot of the fan base always was questioning, well, you got a second round pick for Mohammed Sanu, you have to get more for Julio mm-hmm. Jones. And mm-hmm. I think we've all been sitting here a little bit on Twitter being like, you know, that's, there's much more to it than that. And you can't like compare those two directly. And also the Muhammad's new trade is kind of viewed infamously now as a really bad trade for the Patriots. So walk us through just what you thought about what the Falcons got in return. Is it probably best case scenario? Is it in between? Is it, you know, do you think that they didn't get enough in return? What, what are your thoughts on that?
0: I, I think regardless of what Julio does in Tennessee, even if he's healthy and he performs as a top five receiver and he helps them get to the next level, I still think the Falcons did as as good as they could have possibly done. I never ever believed that they were going to get a first round draft pick for him. Okay. Um, I, I know there was one report uh, about that. I just I never bought into it. Um, if 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 there was a scenario where they could have gotten a first round draft pick, it would have been like the other teams saying, "Okay, but you have to pick up twelve of the fifteen million dollars." So it mm-hmm. would have been like that. Okay. So I don't think it was ever a realistic scenario. Um, I think the big thing for the Falcons was they did not want to have to pay Julio's base, any of base, his base salary this year in 2021. And they won't. Um, I thought from the outset, and you could go back to anything I wrote about this. Will I thought a second or third round draft pick was about as good as they could have expected. Yep. Um, and they got a second and a fourth. Now they gave up a sixth, so you can average it out and say they got a second and a fifth or something like that. But um, I, I think they did well. I mean, they got a second round pick and they're not paying any money um, for a player who can still be a top five receiver on his best days. But we really don't know that. And I think the other thing that, you know, it hasn't been talked a lot about, Will, is just by fans who idolize it, you know, the Julio Jones worship or have his poster on the wall, that they have to understand where he is in his career and where the Falcons are right now at this point in time. Yes. And they were not going to win a Super Bowl with him. Even if he plays full time, he's not a full time practice player. He's just not. I'm not saying as a criticism. He's just not. Yeah, it's fact. And there's a a new coaching staff with new schemes and a new philosophy coming in, and as a new coach, particularly a Arthur Smith mentality type of mentality coach, frankly, you don't really want guys. I don't think. Um, and I'm speculating here. You don't want that type of player on the on the team who's not going to be there practicing all the time with what we're doing moving forward. I'm not saying Julio's a distraction. I'm not saying he's disgruntled or, or will be angry or is going to storm off the field. I'm just saying you want guys who are going to be there all in every day, practicing, doing everything in terms of whatever the team is doing moving forward. So I never viewed Julio Jones as a great fit. um, Once the new regime came in, and I viewed, frankly, Matt Ryan as a attempt fit because eventually they're going to move on from him. But I thought you could get by a little better with with Matt just because he's the quarterback and he, you know, he'll function fine. How well he functions in the new offense we'll have to see. But um, now I, I think, and, and I, you know, it gives Julio a new chance, a new start, uh, yeah. and we'll see what happens on the other end of it.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it was clear pretty early on. I mean, from frankly, their introductory press conference, that one of the key goals for Arthur Smith this season was implementing a new kind of culture within Mm -hmm. the locker room. And so I think what you're saying is exactly spot on. Like if this organization was going to maybe pick or stick with anybody, Matt makes a little bit more sense, not because Julio is any type of distraction or anything like that, but like you said, he can be a top five receiver, but his contract this year was that of a top five receiver. And so, you're guaranteed to pay that dude top five money for maybe potentially a top five best case scenario type of season. And so I think when we're looking at that, it really is the contract getting that off the books entirely. It seems like that was the, the premier goal for this organization. And I think, I think they did a good job, at least externally facing, until the news got out that Julio had requested a trade. It seemed like Terry and, and Arthur were maybe taking a little bit of a hit by making it seem as though well the cap is the reason we have to move on from Julio. But in the reporting that that's come out, you know, since then and and stuff that you've done as well, it seems to indicate that maybe the relationship between Julio and the organization has not been the best over the past couple of seasons. You and I were both covering this team in 2018 when kind of the the new round of negotiations for an extension came about Can you kind of walk me through those talks in 2018, 2019 and just lay out maybe where things might've fallen apart with Julio and the Falcons organization?
0: Yeah, there's really two components to it. One was, um, uh, you know, Arthur blank saying more than once that he wanted Matt Ryan and Julio Jones to be, to be Falcons for life. Um, I understand. I mean, Arthur is a very emotionally invested owner and I, and I get that from an emotional standpoint and it's, Something all fans want to hear. Um, but it it does sort of cut your general manager and ne- negotiating people in the front office off at the knees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's something that the player and the agent are going to seize on. And I think it also some t- somewhat, not somewhat, it definitely sends a message to the player of we could pretty much I could pretty much ignore everybody else in the organization because the owner's got my back. And that's that's sort of a tough situation. When you're a football decision maker, right? Because how do you dictate to somebody when the owner basically says he's my guy? Okay. Mm-hmm. I think the best sports. I think I think there are a lot of great things about Arthur Blank. Don't get me wrong. I mean, but but it's it's difficult when uh, the owner can't separate himself and understand. I mean, I I think that what made Arthur Blank and and so many great self-made Billionaires successful is they understood it was a business, right? And right. they weren't emotionally tied to, you know, the guy who the distributor who sold them sheetrock, basically, right? I mean, at Home Depot, I mean, if the deal wasn't right, he move on to a different sheetrock guy. And I and I think sometimes in sports, it's it might be more difficult to to sort of make that separation. Um, I think management, um, back to the Julio part of it, um, had already budgeted. I know for a fact they had already budgeted to give him a new deal, new extension in 2019, before the 2019 season, even though he would have had two years left on his contract. They had already budgeted for that. to Give him an extension, rework the cap, give him a bunch of money up front. Um, what stunned them was that Julio wanted money in 2018, a year early. Yeah. Already ex- the franchise had already extended itself. It caused a lot of stress. I know for a fact the front office did not want to do it. And then as time wore on, they did it. They didn't do a major thing, but they moved some money up front. It was like $2, $3 million. And it basically just dropped them into a further cap hell that they didn't need to be dropped into. And um, I talked to someone who I trust who basically said from that moment on, from the time that happened in 2018, even though he got his new deal in 2019, also. 66 million dollars with 64 million guarantee
2: which is like unprecedented Up front. At, at the time yeah right? it was crazy
0: yeah it was crazy even though all that happened and he should have been happy there was a level of stress there from that from 2018 on that never really went away and then obviously losing i mean if you're winning then you yeah. get stuff right but when you have to restrain straight losing seasons it's going to make a big difference and and uh yeah, that that's basically that's basically the crux of that relationship. And I, I I don't know everything about what really happened with Julio. You read all this stuff about, oh, he was upset because Matt couldn't get him the deep ball anymore. I've heard some different mm-hmm. things, um, but it's just it was really the, the bottom line is I think it was just at the point that he, it just wasn't a good fit for him. And look, yeah, Julio said he wanted to be traded. I think they knew that. I know for a fact they knew that one but Julio Jones and Arthur Smith have the same agent. Okay. I wrote this in the column today. Yeah. Um, Arthur Smith's agent, Jimmy Sexton, Julio Jones agent Jimmy Sexton. There is no way. Cause Arthur Smith, as you know, had opportunities to coach other, other teams. Mm-hmm. There's no way that Jimmy Sexton, despite his loyalty to art to, to Julio Jones is going to keep from Arthur Smith. Okay. If you take the Falcons job, by the way, Julio Jones wants out. He's not going to keep that from him. Okay, right? He suddenly his name becomes dirt with all the other coach agents, or coaches that he represents right now, which is his primary business, not players anymore. It's yeah. coaches. Uh, I think he represents every coach in the SEC, or at least it seems like he does. And um, and and so there's no question. Arthur Smith knew. I'm some level. I'm sure Terry Fontenot knew, or he realized right after he took the job that the Julio Julio hasn't been happy for a while even this is my opinion. Now, nothing, nobody told me, even if Julio did not ask out, I'm not sure Julio fit in. And I think there was a chance they were going to move on from Julio anyway. And maybe he picked up on that vibe too. Um, Yes. He did ask for a trade in March, but it it goes back to make it official again. But Mm -hmm. he, it was clear before then that he wanted out. So that that's
2: a good segue into kind of my, my next thing here. And, in some ways it could be viewed as a little bit of a blessing. If you are Terry Fontenot and you understand the cap situation that you're inheriting to have a player that maybe says, look, I voluntarily will, will opt out uh, may have made it a little bit easier where they knew the player already from, from day one, that they were going to try to trade. But the thing that I kept trying to think about over the last few weeks was let's say the Falcons weren't getting anything in the ballpark for what they wanted for Julio. Let's say maybe the best they were getting was, a late third rounder, or maybe a couple of day three picks, and and even those maybe came with the caveat of we want you to take 3 million of his contract. It was just nothing that they would even be interested in. Do you think it was more likely that they would kind of just bend over a barrel a little bit and just take pennies on the dollar for Julio because of maybe he wasn't what they were looking for right now to start a new culture, to start a new regime? Or do you think they could have maybe cleaned anything up and gotten this relationship back to a good place for at least maybe the 2021
0: season? I, that's, that's a really good question. I don't know. I think it would have been very awkward after all that had transpired, particularly with him, you know, saying on TV, I'm out of there, yeah. particularly with the day before. And I, I haven't heard that it was Photoshop walking around in a Cowboys hoodie. I mean, <laughs> I, uh, Particularly with him not showing up again for any OTAs, and we could go on and on about oh, but they're you know they're optional, blah blah. Okay, but how many other veterans weren't there at OTAs with right. a new G- coaching staff, new regime? I, to me, it's all BS. Okay, I understand it's optional. It shouldn't be considered optional in this case, as evidenced by the fact that it's not like there were 20 other veterans not there. Okay. Right. Um, it w- that would have been a lot of baggage to overcome. Could they have done it? Maybe. I mean, I've seen I've seen horrible negotiations where all manners of rhetoric was being screamed back and forth. And the next day, the guy walks in and says, okay, that was just business. I'm ready to play. I mean, it's possible. Um, You know, how would they have made it work money wise? My guess is they probably would have restructured Grady. Yeah. um, Because that would have been the easiest thing to do. You don't really want to restructure Julio because then if you move on from him after the season, um, you're even, again, you've created a bigger mess than you already have. Yeah. And so, uh, and you can't really extend Grady right now because it's just it's it's not feasible. I mean, his agent knows he's going to sit on that as long as he can. Yeah, you could restructure Grady. Uh, as a general rule, you don't restructure a player you're going to extend, which is why they hadn't done that. And mm-hmm. probably because they also knew they were going to be moving on from Julio. Um, but that would have probably been their fallback. And How would it have worked? I don't know. Would have been interesting to watch though. <laughs> Um, but knowing Julio and, know, and knowing Arthur Smith, um, as much as I've got to know him so far, they both would have been very Belichickian and Tom Brady-like and not said a word and they would have just done their job. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could, I could see that. Absolutely. And I, I think there were a lot of
2: fans who were sitting here basically saying the clear answer is just to restructure Grady Jarrett. And right. it's not that easy because a lot of the, the reason the Falcons were kind of in the place that they were in was because they chose to extend and restructure their their in-house guys and didn't necessarily have that amount of turnover that's probably healthy for NFL rosters to have both financially and, you know, chemistry in the locker room and, and culture-wise. So my last question for you, just as a wrap it all up, now that we know Julio Jones will not be on the Falcons in 2021, how does this change our perception of the organization where it stands in the short term and then kind of in that middle to long term? Because as the organization... As like to say this offseason, they want both short term su- success and lasting su- sustained success. That's hard to say. Um, so, where do they stand now that Julio Jones is no longer on this roster with all of that?
0: Well, look, I mean, you take a Julio Jones off the team, regardless of where he is in, in his career or resilience, or whatever, they are a lesser team. I don't think, I mean, that's, you can't, there's no way to talk around it. You don't, and you're not going to have, you know, the Arthur Smith offense with Julio Jones. Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts is like oh my god who are you going to cover i mean I would, no. so I, I get that part of it um i think what but i i think what what we don't know is and i think what people should think about is what um Arthur Smith did with far less talent at Tennessee that he's all about creativity he knew this coming in um and Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts are the centerpieces of this offense right now um and it's about trying to get the offensive line right and trying to get the running game right that that second part's going to be key this year. Um, I, I still think a receiving core that basically has Cameron Ridley, Kyle Pitts, Russell Gage, and, and Hayden Hurst, that's pretty good, depending on whatever receiver you pick up or who plays well in training camp. And by the way, they do have some extra cap space now. So as players get cut um, here, you know, going in training camp, they could pick up another receiver if they want to on a short-term deal. Um, I think, you know, what it says in the big picture is what – you and I have thought all along and some fans were in denial about, which is that this is the team that may have to take a couple steps backwards before it forwards. It has cap issues. It has a major, major cap issue with Matt Ryan next year. I hate to say it, but a year at this time, we may be talking about a Matt. It wouldn't shock me if we're talking about a Matt Ryan trade. I mean, again, they restructured his contract. The default was everybody. Else, oh, he's there for two or three years. Well, look again because his cap figure, while well, it would drop to twenty-five million in twenty twenty-one, shoots up to forty-eight million. I, I think I don't have the numbers in front of me. In twenty twenty-two, he's not going to play next year at forty-eight million dollars, um, which tells you again maybe we either would have to restructure him from what the sixth time, <laughs> or or we're, we have we're looking at a post-June trade. A lot of this may depend on how they do in the season, you know, in the upcoming season. Um, We'll know this upcoming season and they will know, I think it's impossible to predict what is the talent level of this team. We know there's a few stars. We know there's a few very good players. We don't know how they, how these guys are going to judge them though. And we don't know how these guys on both sides of the ball are going to fit into these new schemes. So, but I think what we do know from this trade and where this organization is now they acknowledge there's a problem. They acknowledge they have to push reset and start to move on, and I think the 2021 season is going to tell us a lot about where they go from here, in terms of not so much their scheme, but in terms of their players and how many more changes they have to make.
2: Yeah, I, like I think as we've seen over the past few years, and them trying to kind of keep that Super Bowl window as as open as possible, they invested so much in their top level talent that really it affected the yes. depth and the floor of this roster. And it's scary to think about the fact that we're sitting here next year around this time, having kind of the same conversation about the other cornerstone of this franchise for the last decade, Matt Ryan, and where that would then leave a team that you could say this move was as much for the future as it was for, for right now in the books in 2021, but that future may not arrive for a couple of seasons, especially if you have a transition at quarterback next year. And that's where I think it's important for fans to kind of get their head in that space where Like you said, this could be a couple of steps back, but really it's, you're kind of renovating the whole thing. You're fixing the certain spots on the roster so that when you maybe find that next quarterback, the car is loaded, ready to go. And that's when you're ready to make your run. And so it, it kind of sucks. You know, if you're a football fan, especially coming off of three losing seasons, the last thing you really want to think about is we may not actually be competitive until 2024, but I mean, that that's kind of where it is. Um, Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. Everybody, you can read his stuff at The Athletic. I'm sure everybody is aware of, of where to find you, but um, where, where else could they read your stuff?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you could follow me on Twitter at uh, Jeff Schultz ATL. Um, and if you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of people verbally assaulting me all the time and it's like, you know, I'm really good with, I'm, just for the record, I am fine with people disagreeing with me. It really that's okay. That's all part of being. You take expert. it like a champ, and that that's cool. Just just don't get like abusive, or don't come at me like I have some agenda, this and that. And and uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm I I love you know going back and forth with fans uh, and readers, um, and having uh, somewhat um, above the bar conversations with them. <laughs> and yeah, just uh, go to the Athletic, and if you're not a subscriber, it's dirt cheap. There's over 500 journalists in U.S., Canada, England, and uh, just you could go to any of my links, click it, and then it's it's cheap. It's a cost of a, 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 a one or two lattes a month, I think. So that's about it. So
2: there you go. Everybody, sign up. Jeff, you're as credible as they come, and you've done awesome work with this Julio stuff. Uh, hopefully, you get that break now that that you've wanted. Um, <laughs> but thank you so much for taking the time to join me and break all of this down today. Thanks, Will. I appreciate. All right. Take care. A Georgia native living his best life on the West Coast, Brian Kearns. What's up, man? How are you doing? Well, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing well. So you are currently a global senior communication strategist at Riot Games with a lot of cool stuff coming down the pipeline. But the reason I wanted to talk to you today is you spent 13 years with the Atlanta Falcons, most recently as a senior director of communications in 2019. And just give everybody an idea of how long you were actually with that organization. You started about two years before the Bobby Petrino incident happened, and (laughs) you ended up getting to watch Calvin Ridley's rookie season. So that is quite the run, my friend. And I really wanted to get you on here to talk about Julio Jones, because you know him pretty much as well as anybody.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. Happy to... Happy to come on, uh, definitely fond memories of everything back in Atlanta. Uh, and yeah, that, that run was pretty crazy. Uh, you intern and you know, you have the by Petrino stuff and everything else that was part of that 2007 season. Uh, so that was fun. Uh, to, to many people who might've thought on Twitter, who are listening to your podcast. Yes, I was the one that had to put the by Petrino letter in lockers. Uh, Uh, so that was, uh, that was definitely a welcome to the NFL moment for me. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I got to kind of ride the wave of what turned out to be the the most successful kind of decade in in franchise history in terms of wins and success and playoffs. Uh, you know ultimately, you know we didn't ever get the the ultimate thing done. Uh, but I think that that era of Falcons football is something that I think most fans will be able to look back on and and be pretty proud of, uh, particularly what had happened, you know the forty years prior to that it was pretty rough. Uh, and I think that was something that i will always cherish, uh, and hold close to me. So it's, it's good to be able to come on and talk. And, you know, obviously Julio was a big part of that, but yeah, it's kind of some surreal moments, uh, during my time there for, for sure. I mean, when you get back to back winning seasons for the first time in franchise history and it took 44 years or whatever it was to 45 years to get there, uh, that's a pretty crazy thing. And I know that meant a lot to, to Mike Smith when he was there. And, uh, so yeah, it was a, definitely a cool time and a lot of memories.
2: Yeah, I mean, nobody else in the in the organization probably had the the kind of stretch of of success that you had there, with also the really crazy, bizarre moments, you know, that that happened yeah. for for the franchise, both good and bad. You know, the Bobby uh, Trino was an all time low. Drafting Matt Ryan was an all time crossroads, and then became an all time high, and then obviously culminating kind of in 2016. And I had the misfortune of joining the next season and kind of being there for the tail end of that, and it does now seem kind of like the, the 2020 season will be a, a bookmark chapter because not only Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov gone, Julio Jones now gone as well. And that will have been his last season. So just real quick, what, what were your thoughts when, when you saw it all go down yesterday and you, and you saw the report?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I, I know you talked to, to Jeff Schultz earlier, who always has great insight. Uh, not surprised. Uh, honestly. And I think there's, you know, there, there's a lot of feelings and a lot of emotions from fans, which makes sense always has been, I think, working in, in PR, you kind of learn that and, and have an appreciation and the empathy for it. Uh, but, you know, the, the team had to do what they thought was best. And, and Julio also had to do what was best. And, you know, everyone's all upset and, and you know, did they get enough? Didn't they get enough? What's the, uh, what's the deal with all that? And, and quite frankly, everybody's in a tough situation. You needed salary cap room. Uh, They're able to get that and and try to help them going forward. I think uh, Lombardi from the athletic had a great perspective on it. You weren't going to get both. Uh, You can't get, you can't get draft value and, and financial value in the same trade. It's not going to happen. And so, you know, I think everybody tried to do the best they could with it. And obviously it was something Julio was trying to deal with um, in the best way that he knows how, which is privately. Uh, And that's, that's who he is. He's a professional uh, first and foremost. And, you know, it's unfortunate the way that it ended up getting out was not ideal. Something I know Will McFadden would never do, uh, (laughs) too much, uh, got too many, uh, journalistic integrity to him, uh, to ever let that happen. But yeah, it's, uh, it was unfortunate how that went down, but I think for both sides, uh, they'll they'll both be in better places going forward.
2: Yeah. I, I do think overall, this was handled pretty well. You know, I know the Shannon Sharp thing kind of really muddied the water here right towards the end, but, but for the most part, it does seem like, the organization understood the place they were at with salary cap, but also wanted to maybe respect Julio's wishes, and certainly didn't publicly oust that he had requested for a trade until that happened live on air. Um, <laughs> but we, Julio's time in Atlanta ends the same way it began, with all of us talking about a trade, and you, <laughs> you were there in, in uh, 2011 with that draft, and I know Thomas has talked a lot about just, you know, how critical that pick was, you know, the Matt Ryan one, and then certainly that Julio one, just because of what you were giving up to go get that player. What was your first thought when they actually did pull the trigger to go up to get Julio? And, you know, why do you think Thomas felt he ultimately did need to make that pick? And he's been proven right. I mean, the Falcons won that trade and Julio is, is a future all of famer, but at the time, why was that really a, a need for Thomas to do?
1: Yeah. I mean, you gotta, you gotta rewind to that, that January of 2010 it doesn't take much, you know, you, you have a Packers, you have number one seed in the NFC 13 and three, you know, that, that hot Packers team comes in there with Aaron and, you know, and they, they lit it up. Um, and, you know, we had a lot of good players uh, on that team and, and guys that, that are, you know, that will be in, if they're not already like Rod, you know, they're being the Falcons ring of honor and, and they deserve to have that. And, you know, you had guys like Mike Jenks and, and Michael Jenkins and those guys that could really play. You know, I was around Thomas quite a bit during then, and have a great relationship with T D. And he knew he needed to do something. He said it a hundred times. Like there, there had to you don't make that move. Uh there that that move's not gonna happen ever again, probably in the NFL, to be quite honest. I mean, it's such a it was such a crazy trade uh to pull off from where he was that deep in the draft. Yeah. Uh to pull it off. And I remember leading up to the draft. We we do a bunch of pre-draft media, and so you know you you do what you do for the locals, and you have those conversations, and you have the press conference, but you also do some national stuff. And he was doing a this was completely no one ever knew this happened. I, he, I think he shared it since then, but he was having a conversation with Peter King and the great Peter King, I should say. <laughs> and Peter kind of hinted around the possibility of him trading up, and that kind of like he got a little like clearly with it because it had been so quiet. It really, really had. And then, then Peter had like, I think hinted at it two days ahead of time that there could be big movement in the draft and like with Cleveland. And he was like, man, he was like, I hope this. like, he was really, really concerned that it was going to get out that it was us. Uh, and it didn't. Uh, but in, in, you know, that's what makes Peter, Peter. Cause he's so great. And he, he knew, uh, but he didn't let the cat out of the bag completely. Uh, I remember that night you know, you have all these things going on. These are all the behind the scenes stuff that happens where you've got, you know, cameras and NFL network camera in the room. And, you know, the website, you know, well, you, you guys need stuff and people <laughs> need access and things are going to happen. And T was just like, Hey, like people better be ready because like this, this shit's happening. And it was like, all right, like, we're going to have to go do our thing and, and make it happen. And it was definitely a, a, a surreal moment, but, but one of those ones that um, you'll never forget and the excitement and the jubilation of the entire city and the franchise, uh, knowing that, that they had gotten who they needed and who they wanted, uh, and all the work that they had put in secret work they had put in, uh, leading up to that moment, uh, the meetings that they had with Julio that no one knew about and, you know, convincing Julio to meet with them when they were pick supposed to be picking at 26 and he's like, I'm going in the top seven picks. Like <laughs> I, why would I meet with Atlanta? Uh, but, it, it was it, it, all kudos to to Thomas and Mike Smith uh, during that time to to say no this is a this is a guy who can change a franchise and and it can change the trajectory of, of where we're going.
2: And I mean, they proved to be right. But that whole story just now has me uh, really it like PTSD because I could only think about if we're going into that draft and pre-writing you know potential first-round picks. If you're picking 27th, uh, you know I'm not sitting there saying I need to write uh, a pre-write for Von Miller. He's going in the top 5 or uh, you know any of these guys like we wouldn't write one about Trevor Lawrence this past year because the consensus is he's going number 1 and so I would probably have a heart attack if it would if I just got the the text where it's like we're going up 6, we're grabbing 11 or whatever or I guess yeah. at the time but Julio I would be like all right I'm we're just getting one headline with one sentence and hitting publish because we're not ready.
1: Well I think uh I, I think you know that you know, the relationship I had with T allowed for a lot of trust even back then. Uh, and so, even though we didn't, we knew who it was between, we we knew possibly where it could go, we we knew what the targets were and T was able to give us enough information to where uh, your your group there at the website was definitely able to be prepared uh, and agile enough to, to operate. But yeah, it was definitely a close, cards close to the best, but hey, like, this is gonna go down, we need to be ready. And and let's go execute and uh, and they did it. and so it was, it was a really cool moment uh, all across the board so a lot
2: of fun yeah I mean that that was one of the coolest parts of uh, being in the NFL briefly and and kind of the unique role that I was in was was seeing how you do walk that line between all right we're we're maybe steering you in the right direction while keeping the blindfold on and there's so much of that that goes on in the NFL but. When when Julio arrived in Flowery Branch uh, and you kind of then got to see him up close and and see him work with you know, one of the league's best quarterbacks in Matt Ryan, I mean, what separated Julio to you as you know, not just like an athlete, because we know he's one of the freak athletes of all time, but as a competitor and, and just the way he approached the game?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, it was evident from day one. So it was an interesting year because 2011, right, there's a lockout. Uh, so he could he could literally fly in the day after the draft and then he had to leave that night. Uh, and then he really, I don't think he was, he wasn't back at the facility that off season until training camp. So definitely an, an uh, a weird off season, but in the, you know, 12, 16 hours that I got to spend with him uh, from going flying up to New York to get him uh, and coming home, talking to him, trying to figure out what his hobbies were, what he likes to do. And when he tells you he, so he's not wired in a way he d- only wants to do something. If he can be the absolute best at it, that transcends, it It, it translates to everything he does. Like, I was like, Oh, do you golf? Would like, do you do anything? And he was like, no, he's like, I'll never pick. Like, I can't pick up that game. He was like, because I won't stop until I become great at it. And this is a, you know, what is he 21 at the time, oh. young man out of Alabama. And just in a very humble, honest way was just like, no, like I will want to be the best at it. Like, that is how I'm wired. It's who I am. Uh, and you saw it, like in everything that he did, how he approaches everything, and how he approaches practice. Thomas has told the story a hundred times. He dove for a ball, like in one of his very first practices of training camp, falls on his shoulder, and it happened like five yards away from Dimitrov. And TD's like having a heart attack, and he was like, "I like this kid maybe like did he just separate his shoulder?" And Thomas is like, "Hey, we don't need to do that, like in in NFL, like that's not, but." That's not who Julio is. It's not who he was uh, when he came in. And that's just a microcosm of, of what he believed in. But he was that way with like ping pong. An unbelievable ping yeah. pong player. Unbelievable. Yeah. But like hates to lose. Hates to lose in cards. It doesn't matter. Uh, he's, a, he's a really, really, really good fisherman. Like loves to fish and is great at it. Uh, he's, it's just who he is. And, and he's not going to do something half speed. He's not going to do something half ass. It's going to be everything he's got. And I think that's, as he was there, I, one of the things that kind of frustrated me, and I was we would always talk to like the beat writers about this, but, and, and D led was great with this stuff, but a lot of the talking heads in Atlanta would be like, Oh, he doesn't practice and he doesn't do this. Do you understand that he can't because if he does, he goes a hundred percent. And it's like, they have to protect him from him sometimes. And I, and I don't think, a lot of people in the Atlanta community on, I'll just say it like the people on the radio really gave him credit for that. They would criticize him for not practicing, but not understanding that like he can't go 80% in practice. He doesn't have that to him. That's not who he is. And it's just a, he's different. And, and I don't know, like, I've been around some good ones and some great ones. I mean, Hall of Famer and Tony Gonzalez, uh, Rod was special in, in, in his own way. Uh, Michael Turner. Matt is a, Matt is very similar, uh, but like Matt is an ultra competitive guy. And then like <sighs> Matt would probably kill me with this. Like who feels like a, uh, I think you would agree though. Like who feels like a notch above that? Like it's, he's different. And
2: in that he can't ever turn that off.
1: No, it right. doesn't go away. And so I, I think like some of those things that he would get criticized for or people would be like, Oh, well this isn't working because he doesn't practice. Or like they're missing on these shots because he doesn't practice they had to hold him back in practice because otherwise he may not have made it to Sundays. And so that's just, that's who he is uh, and how he's wired. And and if you think he's going to go to Tennessee and and not dominate uh, y'all are crazy. I'm just like, it's, it's going to be scary. Uh, He's, he's just wired very differently uh, in a really, really cool way uh, than, than any, any player I've ever been around.
2: And my thing with the Tennessee thing is, I mean, they're getting probably the healthiest version of Julio that has been around since like the 2013 season or 2014 season, I should say, when he was coming off of of missing all those games. I mean, he he does all of this without needing to practice anyway. Now, I I would guess that in Tennessee, he will probably be on the practice field a a little bit more while he develops uh, some chemistry with Ryan Tannehill. But no, I mean, uh, the fact that that Julio does what he does on game day. Demonstrates that it's not a toughness thing. It's not that he's not willing to push through injuries. It's that the team understands that if you know he can only kind of red line as a player, you'd rather him be as healthy as possible and have the fullest possible tank of gas for game day on Sunday, than burn him out on you know a random Thursday practice. Especially once he has the chemistry that he did with Matt Ryan after playing for you know seven, eight, nine years together. I mean that that just wasn't as important now as getting him 100 for a Sunday afternoon.
1: Um, no, no doubt. I'll, I'll give you two quick antidotes on that. I'll give you two, two real examples. Yeah. The, the toughness factor, I believe it's his second year in the league. I, if I'm wrong on the season, I apologize, but I think it's his second year, second or third year in the league, no third year, he got hurt, which is unbelievable because he literally breaks his foot, makes a diving catch against the jets and walked off the field. Like nothing had happened. And he ended up, you know, refrat or breaking the, the screws, but we're in San Diego. I believe it's his second year. He's having a, a a killer start to the game. Like just killing it. And he gets hurt and he hurts his hand and everyone's kind of like, what like what happened? Like no one's real sure hand injury. You know how we like to you know how we have to report things in a game. So it's a hand injury. He goes to the back. And so I'm talking to the trainer about what happened and so he tells me what's happened and I'm like, "All right, hand injury, questionable return, whatever." Julio comes back out and well, before you got there, I had the tremendous honor of being able to throw balls to Roddy, Julio, and Tony before practice. Put that on your resume, dude. It, I have pictures. D Led's got some really cool pictures of it. Now, I threw an awful ball. That's why Tony said that he made, like really helped him because he knew how to. If he could catch my my shitty passes, he had no problem <laughs> catching anything from Matt Ryan. So, but so I would throw a lot to these guys before practice, but. Julio comes back to the sideline and he was like, all right, throw me a couple of passes. Well, he had literally split his hand in between two fingers and they went in and sewed it together. And I was like, I don't make enough money to throw you a football right now. <laughs> there is no chance because if I hurt you and it and get, gets re-injured, I'm not going to be a part of this. So I wouldn't do it. I was like, Nope handed the ball. I don't even remember who that may have been John Parker Wilson. Somebody was the backup. I was like, throw the ball to him. I was like, I'm not doing this. Uh, But the guy had a different, like toughness, man. If there's anybody who really questions that you don't know him uh, and and you didn't pay attention, you don't understand the foot injury and stuff that he battled through the Super Bowl year. Uh, The stuff he did in that playoffs with, with that foot injury. Yeah. Uh, Phenomenal. And so I, that's those things that are, are, things that I, I think anybody who would ever say that didn't really understand or didn't care to understand. They just made an opinion on it. Um, and then I would say the second part of that is what's going to happen in Tennessee. It's going to be, I mean, Derek Henry is going to have running lanes for days. How uh, <laughs> I mean, many times are like, he said, defenses do stuff when who is on the field that don't make sense. And he was like, it only happens when he's there. And it's like, when everybody asks about like the, pro, like his production and why doesn't he catch touchdowns and X, Y, and Z, it's like, you don't under, like the focus that he gets every single time he's on the field is second to none. Uh, and and Matt say, like he'll be like, it's, it's unsound. Like some of the stuff they do because there's so much attention and players are so worried about him. Uh, yeah. I'd, Tennessee will be tough to defend uh, with him and AJ and, and Derek. Cause that's, I don't know what you do there.
2: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's it's going to be one of the at least most fun and interesting offenses to watch, and probably to see how defenses play a, a team like that. Now that you know Julio has joined it, like it's the it's the league's new big three, um, in in kind of a different iteration than we've seen previously. But given you know how meticulous I guess Julio was with himself in his game planning and his approach to getting prepared. He doesn't strike me in the way that, you know, you would talk about like Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady are very, very demanding leaders. Like to me, Julio is very demanding of himself, but I would, I never really saw that he would, he would motivate the guys around him. He would help educate and he would teach them, but I don't know if he was maybe as tough on his teammates as, as somebody who is as demanding of themselves as Julio Jones is. But I'm curious, like, in your professional interactions with him, like how did, how is it dealing with that type of personality when, you know, on the field, they're crazy competitive, all of that stuff. But then you're trying to get them right off the practice field, right off the the turf on a Sunday, maybe after a win or a loss and get their head into the right space and then go get asked questions by a bunch of jerks like me. You know, how did you go about doing all of that with somebody as crazy famous, talented and competitive as, as Julio Jones?
1: Uh, yeah, I- build trust number one build a real relationship uh it wasn't ever you know i I hear a lot of guys who would come into atlanta uh when we were there doing pr and they're like oh you guys do it differently than where i come from or the place and it's just it's about building true honest relationships will uh at the end of the day that build trust i think my relationship with roddy helped julio understand that like hey i can trust this guy he's got my stuff in order he's going to take care of me he's going to make sure we're doing what's best for not just not just Himself, but for the team, and that's what Julio only ever cared about. Uh, it was hard to get who originally to do one-on-one interviews. wasn't his thing. Didn't want to be that guy. Not his mindset. Even later in his career, like, he hates talking about himself. Yeah. That's not who he is. And so, you know, there's been some really cool stories. Si did the really cool superhero type of story on him a couple years back, where they went around and talked to so many different people from his past because that was the best way to get a Julio Jones story. Because if you came to talk to 11, you weren't going to get much. Uh, You just weren't. Uh, And so he made my job incredibly easy. Uh, I I think it came from a lot of hard work previously. Like I said, when when he comes in and Rod's kind of the mentor and Roddy and I are as close as we are, uh, it was easy for him to see that that it was okay and and have this type of relationship. And then you, you just have to you have to build it on trust and you have to build it on, on being real and and not bullshitting around with it. Uh, and I think there, there's a lot of people who do that and that gets you in trouble. Uh, and Julio is a guy that's going to see through it a hundred percent, 100 out of 100 times. He's going to see through it. And he's the most, like, an extremely professional person uh, when it comes to those things, as meticulous as he is on the field, he is off the field. And he asks that in return when you're, helping organize and keeping his interviews in order is that same level and so when you can do that then it's the rest of it then you can go to the actual relationship piece of it um and so that was you know fortunate enough to be able to do that with him and and still have a chance to talk to him from time to time it's just uh yeah he's a special guy uh but but the right mindset and and knew exactly what he wanted and how he wanted it and the rest of it was up to us uh, as a PR team to make sure we delivered on it at the end of the day. And, uh, and once you're able to do that, uh, he was unbelievable. Uh, but from a leadership standpoint, yeah, like didn't say a lot, but that wasn't him. And I think any great leader in sports is true to who they are. And I, I think that's, that's another thing you hear a lot from, you know, Atlanta fans or, or whatever. And they're like, Oh, well, a leader should be this a leader should be who a leader is and be exactly who he is. It's it's when leaders try to not be who they are is when the issues start. When you're true to who you are, most athletes that I've ever been around are going to respect that a lot more. Matt Ryan doesn't need to be any different than who Matt Ryan is. Julio Jones didn't need to be vocal because what happened was Julio led by example every single time. And so when Julio did speak, Mm -hmm. that carried a completely different amount of weight. Uh, And Julio understands that. Like it's just, a weird misnomer i i think that gets caught up that like guys have to be certain leaders like tom or they have to be like this guy and i think those things are are hard uh to to ask another person to be a certain way
2: no that's spot on i've i've heard a lot of players um throughout the league have have brought up that exact same point where like guys in a locker room can tell when you're being fake or when you're trying to be a kind of a false leader because you think you should be just kind of come in and be yourself accept your role find your role but this is not to be dismissive of any way of the fantastic and hard work that you and Matt and Gabby and Curtis put in over the years. Cause I know you did, but you're right. Julio made your job really easy. <laughs> he would, oh, oh. he did not say a word to, to anybody about himself. I mean, the fact that the diamond earring thing in 2017 dominated training camp was because that was the one thing about Julio Jones that like anybody ever found out was that no. he had an earring go missing.
1: <laughs> Look, I, him, Matt, all those guys, like Tony, Michael Turner. All those guys were great. I, Rod and I joke about it all the time. Like I learned, all, I, I earned all my scars and all the easiness because of Roddy. Uh, I love him to death. He's literally my brother. Uh, and he, he even talked about this at his retirement ceremony that we had about like the number of times I'd have to call him for social media and Twitter and, uh, Rod just being Rod. So I always look at it as like kind of earn, earn the right to, to have some, <laughs> have some easy, easy people, uh, to deal with, but nonetheless, uh, tremendous amount of respect cuz that that's hard uh it's hard to do what they do it's hard to be a coach uh and and answer and it's hard to be a player and answer these questions and and that was one of the things we would always talk about is it's real easy for us to help guide you and help give you advice on how to answer and how to deal with situations it's a lot harder to do it and, and to do it every day and to yeah. have to answer those questions yeah th- those th- they're special and it's it's a it's a it's an interesting conversation but yeah those those guys in as a whole uh, made life pretty easy for me.
2: So this will be my last question before we kind of pivot and go into our top 5 Julio Jones moments. Um but based on just the reporting that's kind of come out uh over the past few weeks and more recently over the past few days, but the notion that kind of the 2018 contract extension talks that kind of bled in then over to 2019 really did create some tension I guess between the the front office, the organization, and Julio and Julio's representation. You know, I know you were there only for uh, kind of half of all of that. But do you have any insights on just how, you know, a player who was kind of under contract then went in and asked for, you know, a new deal in 2018, and then they had promised him something in 2019, and that didn't get worked out until right before the season. I mean, that timeline is is pretty well documented. But it seemed like all parties left the table in at least a good spot at the time. And now we're learning that maybe wasn't the case. Like, do you have any insight on maybe how all of that played out or how it came to be?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want, I can't, I definitely can't speak to anything over the last, you know, year or so uh, that's yeah. way, way out of my, my scope and, and wouldn't be fair for me to, to speculate or, or think on or ruminate on any of that. Uh, previously though, I think some of it has been documented. I know this, it's just the same thing with anything else who Jones is a professional. And, and the one thing about football or any professional sport is it's a business at the end of the day. And when that happens, it's hard sometimes as, as, as passionate fans to, to always keep that mindset. And, and I understand that, like you, you love your team, you love your player. Like there, there's a different sense of love and passion, but inside it's still a business. And players know that front office, people know that. Um, And usually when emotions get involved or feelings get involved in, in anything in business, it gets a little bit harder. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, like there were things that that needed to be worked out before he got that deal in 2019 and they were, and, you know, credit to him and and his reps and Thomas and the front office in Atlanta to, to get that deal done because there were commitments made And, and there were things that were said that we would get this right and and do it a certain way. And they did. Uh, And so anytime somebody makes a commitment to you to get something done and it gets close to that deadline, stress comes involved and and the business side really, really starts to become part of it. And Julio Jones is an amazing businessman. He's not just great at football. He's a great businessman. Like he, he's diversified in so many ways off the field he doesn't let a lot of people into that. So it's hard to really understand his mindset when it comes to that. So yeah. And and you got to remember, like there was, there was tough times, like, you know, when Rod was, was cut from Atlanta, like that was a tough moment. That was his mentor. Like that was his running mate. And that was probably one of the first times in Julio's career that he was in the NFL, that it really showed the business side of it uh, and, and how things can happen. And so there's all those moments that we go, that any of us go through in life that you're like, ah, Okay. I see how this could go. Like my, I will be there at some point in time. Like my time will come to be in that position. And um, that's hard. And so I think for, for the way that he's always handled everything as privately and has tried to b- keep things behind closed doors as much as possible, uh, that's a testament to him uh, and, and who he is uh, and, and how his representation handles it and a credit to the, to the front office that was there uh, because they handled it the same way. Of okay, we hear you and we appreciate you, and we're going to get this done. Uh, and 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 they did. And so, yeah, I, I think that's just the business side of it. Sometimes it gets messier than others. I think you know, very fortunate that I think when while TD was there, uh, they did a really good job of not allowing most of those contract situations to become public. Uh, and no matter how tough or how easy it ever was, uh, they never really allowed it to get to the point to where it became a public issue.
2: No, yeah, I completely agree. Because I, I mean, I remember. Uh, sitting back there for for multiple training camps in a row, kind of being on on Julio watch, but the one thing that you do have to commend both sides on is is it did never seem ugly. You know, it just seemed as though both both sides were everything was kind of laid out on the table and, and they were negotiating. And that's kind of the extent of, of what it seemed like. And so that's where it it seemed, I think, a little bit surprising. It felt like, you know, Julio was the consummate pro and he is. Like you can still take this like a business and you can still approach this you know with with your with what you want to get out of it at, you know at the forefront of your mind but still also be a great teammate and still also be a great professional and still also be you know all of this like that's the unique thing of sports is is that it is two separate worlds colliding and oftentimes with kind of different dogmatic approaches where if you're on a team you're supposed to be selfless and sacrifice and all of that stuff but in the business world it's cutthroat and that's where sometimes like if somebody has a negative perception, maybe it's because of the business and, and the teammates. They're amazing. But Julio seemed like somebody who always straddled both sides really well. And, and with grace and, and class and trust. And I mean, it seems like that's why some people are a little bit surprised to even learn that there was tension um, at any point during the the run with the organization.
1: Yeah, I, I can understand that. And I, I just think that, that's you know, those things happen. Like I said, I, I don't think you can, you don't have to go too far back from that, that 2018, 2019 frame to see yeah. the Roddy white situation. And, you know, I think a lot of people in Atlanta at the time thought Rod would, would never get cut. Uh, and it wouldn't have went down that way. Uh, and it did. And I think that's, that, yeah. that one hurt. That one hurt. Uh, a lot of people like, I mean, I'm, it hurt, like you gotta, I have a job to do, but it, it hurt to, to have it go down that way. Uh, but, you know, and, and when your best friend is, is, you know, the, the next receiver in line, like that's a, that one hurts, yeah. like that, that hurt uh, personally. And so that's, those are tough. And so I think when you, when those things happen in a young players, in a player's career, sometimes those are eye openers of like, Hey, I I do have to try to make sure that I handle everything and I do my part. But when I do my part, I expect to be rewarded at that level. Right. And because because at some point in time, my number's coming too to where you're going to move on from me. And just look around the league over the last 10 years of what we've seen. I mean, no one ever thought Peyton Manning would play in anything other than a Colts uni. People like Tom Brady's winning Super Bowl in Tampa right now. It's like, wild. It's, it's bananas. And so it shows you that that's, that's the way the league is. It's the way it's went. That's it. I, I thought Ryan Clark had a tremendous thing that he said today. And, and he referenced the fact that all players are individual contractors at the same time Yeah, or independent contractors at the same time. I apologize, but that is so true. Like they, yes, they have an obligation. Football is the ultimate team sport. It takes so much sacrifice to win a championship and to be in contention for a championship. Like to have those opportunities is so hard. And you have to put so many things aside to get there. Then there's that business side of it where it's like that success leads to guys getting paid that perfor- your individual performance leads to that person getting paid. And it, it all, it all goes hand in hand. Uh, and I think the, the great ones always find a way to balance that and, and keep it in its own place. I think no matter what uh, I think Julio Jones ultimately was able to do is, is able to do that and did it every single day in Atlanta.
2: Yeah. So I, I let's go from kind of that conversation about Julio to now, Remembering some of of the best moments that he had in Atlanta, and frankly, you know, when I was making my list of of top five moments, I mean, th- I almost cheated in some ways where I combined games as like one singular moment, because in that collection of games, there were probably like eight top ten moments for Julio's career. So mm-hmm. it, I feel bad for even limiting us to a, f- a ranking of five. Um, but were you able to come up with, with your top five Julio moments?
1: Uh, I do. I, do. Right. So I, I don't know how you, how you want to go about this. We can go,
2: you know, from we'll five go, up to one, we'll go back and forth. Um, so we'll go from five down to one. So
1: we'll start with your number five. My number five is the catch over Luke Keekley for the touchdown against Carolina. There's a lot that went into that game and that was a tough season. Uh, we started that season off really well had a really tough patch. Carolina came in there, uh, ready to rock and roll. Yeah. That, that catch, uh, and that play is being an ultimate competitor. And, and you could tell the emotion for, for a guy who never showed a ton of emotion on the field at times, uh, the way he broke that goal line, oh, yeah. uh, you know, it meant a lot to him, uh, and it meant a lot to, to that entire team. I don't, I'm not a firm believer that things carry over from one year to the next. Uh, but that one was a spark. Uh, for what that offseason was going to lead to and how that team was going to come together uh, for the next year.
2: Absolutely. This actually is my number three on my list. Um, I remember exactly where I was when it happened. Just the the storylines coming into the season. Uh, That was obviously DQ's first year. Team starts out incredibly hot and then breaks down uh, during the second half of the season. The Panthers are essentially the 2017 Warriors and running over everybody celebrating their way doing it. They were the bullies of the NFL. Cam Newton was at once the MVP, but also a villain to a lot of players or people around the um, fans watching. And in that matchup, it was basically okay. Carolina's quest to a undefeated season. Atlanta should have been an easy win for them on paper. And to see Matt and Julio connect for that touchdown against like peak prime Luke Keekly. Was just kind of like, oh yeah, our guys are pretty good too. You know, we may not have the depth of a team to compete for a Super Bowl, but our best of the best are right up there with with the best of the league. And I completely agree with you that that sparked kind of the 2016 season and, and really got Matt and Julio one of their best years
1: together. That's I got it at five. I got it at five. I'm gonna. I got it at five because it is over a linebacker. Yeah, okay. So that, that's fair. So, and that is kudos to Luke Keekley <laughs> for being in pos- position to even go make that play. Like that uh, the stories that, that I've heard about Luke Keekley on the field are phenomenal. He's a Hall of Fame linebacker regardless of the the shortness of his career. Uh he's a phenomenal player. Uh and so yeah, that's the only reason I put it at 5 and it was a little bit further down my list because it was over a linebacker, but it's a unbelievable play. All
2: right, Brian Kearns is anti-linebacker. We learned that here.
1: Um, I'm just saying that the six, the <laughs> six three, two twenty freak of the receiver. Yeah. He's better win to that make jump that ball. Yeah, so he's he's got to win that jump ball. Yeah. If he gets out jumped by Luke. Yeah. We, gotta, we got
2: problems. Um, all right. So my number five, a very similar play. You, we, who knows, we may have flipped this for, for the exact reason, but um, my number five is mossing Malcolm Butler in that new England game in 2017, the rematch, the fog bowl. I, the, mm. For the play itself, it's one of my all-time favorite Julio plays. I almost did leave it off my list just because of the game itself. But frankly, you know, we're going to have other moments on my list that come from losses. So I didn't want that to be a disqualifier. But just the, I mean, Malcolm Butler at that time was considered, I think, like the best corner in the league still. And for him to do that on national television, just at the very end of, of a bad game that was kind of. It, it went viral and it was a meme and, and all of that good stuff and, and gifts were made. So at least we got one good thing and it's kind of an all time. I'm just going to beat one of the very best one-on-one and just whether I need to be do it with speed, leaping ability, or just pure strength. And I'm just going to rip this ball out of your hands when you're in great position was just a really fun moment for in Julio's career.
1: I like that. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> it's, not on my, it's not on my list uh, mostly because of, of just everything with that game. So no, that, that one's not on my list.
2: Yeah. And there, there I, are I a it. lot of, a lot of plays could have been number five.
1: Um, but what's your number four? Okay. So this one is actually probably going to surprise people. And All right. there's a lot of people that I've seen put his first career touchdown on the list, which oh, is, love the, this. is the catch between three Colts yeah. going down the field. So I, that's a great catch. Don't get me wrong. I'm so ready for this. The second touchdown of his career. Yes. Yes. Is a better epitome of who Julio Jones was to become. Where he catches a slant and goes 80 to the house. Money. In the exact same game. Uh, that is the explosiveness, the catchability, everything. The power. Everything that epitomized what Julio Jones was going to be for the Atlanta Falcons in the next decade to me is in his second career touchdown, the 80 yard slant that he just, I mean, as, as Marquand Manuel would say in meetings, pull the track back, (laughs) he was gone. Uh, He was at the gate and there was nothing they could do about it. Uh, And I thought that was the moment where it was like, okay, all right, we got something like this kid's real. And, uh, and he's, he's put on a show uh, ever since then, in my opinion. I, I
2: rewatched that play uh, today in kind of preparation for all of this. And you're right. That was the one that I was blown away by because so we didn't
1: think on this. That's phenomenal that you did that. Cause we did not think on this before this conversation. So I love that. Will. that's awesome. <laughs>
2: um, it, it was, it, you're exactly right. Like it's the same play kind of from the green Bay game in the, the 2016 NFC championship, you know, where he, he just shows off the run after the catch speed. We saw it again against the Panthers in 2016, like, you're right. It's that ability to not make plays as like a straight line receiver, but to make plays after the catch, which is something we always heard a lot about with Antonio Brown or Odell Beckham or these guys, but Julio never got as much credit as he should have for what he could do with the ball in his hands. And I was blown away at how he pulled away from NFL defensive backs. And I I know in the Combine he ran like a four three nine which I think shocked a lot of people, especially because he, he did it, 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 it on a on a
1: broken broken foot,
2: foot. yeah, but yeah. watching that play, you're like, "Oh shit, yeah, that's probably a
1: four three nine guy <laughs> I, I think to your point, what you just said about a B and Odell, this is not taking anything away from them. There's a difference when you're six three two twenty right, and so you get this notion that he's powerful and he yep. is the crazy thing about Julio is he could do everything those guys could do like double their size yeah, and to do to run the routes to to have the precision to be able to catch the ball to be able to maneuver his body to have the speed the same speed if not better speed than those guys had and be 6'3 220 it's this will be a it is kind of a crazy analogy but i'm liken it to whenever you see michael you see mj do things he's 6'6 him and kobe were 6'6 kind of same weight there's a gracefulness there's kind of a beauty to it right and people yeah. love that and then when you see LeBron at 6'8", 240 do things, there's this power, but it doesn't make it any less beautiful of what they do. And Julio is that. He's, he's not going to look as sleek as an AB or as sleek as an Odell, but he does everything and maybe is a better route runner to them. Like That's what made Julio Jones great. And so that's why that play is on my list.
2: Yeah, beautiful pick. I mean, it's the reason people freaked out about DK Metcalf for, for chasing down um uh, Tyreek Hill was it last year and no Buddha or, oh it was Buddha sorry to, yeah. to Tyreek Tyreek would not have been caught um, no i don't think so <laughs> <laughs> but but Julio, i mean we forget Julio did the same thing in i believe 2014 against Tampa and yeah he did it, yep. it was it almost it was almost a top 5 play for mine or for me because I just it reminds me of a lion chasing a gazelle uh, that dude just knew he was going to get caught and, and Julio i've never seen him i think just pure sprint like that play but that did not make my list. Instead, my number four is his entire 2012 uh, NFC Championship game performance Mm. against the 49ers. So he had 11 catches on 13 targets, 182 yards, two touchdowns. My favorite play from that performance was his second touchdown, the kind of double tap in the back corner. So good. Such a good play. But the reason I packaged this whole game together was because it's obviously his sophomore season. And it's when I think we truly realized that on the biggest stage Julio Jones could take over a game and i think that that was important because it was like you said coming off of 2011 and and that green bay packers performance it was kind of we they didn't necessarily the falcons didn't have the weapons to just go toe to toe in a shootout and it was like with julio now on our roster you can with Roddy and Julio as now your two wide receivers. And Matt still is your, your quarterback and Tony Gonzalez. Like you can put up 42 points if you need to win a game. Unfortunately they didn't, but in the playoffs, that to me cemented Julio as okay. He's a future superstar in this league.
1: No doubt. Completely agree. It it was almost on my list. I I did leave it off, but yes, I, I, I toyed with that one as well uh, because that whole performance uh, was definitely his, his coming of age of, okay, Atlanta's got a, th- 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 this kid's a problem and he's going to be a problem. Com- awesome pit. <laughs> All
2: right. My, so my number three was the leaping touchdown over Luke Keekley. What's your number three?
1: My number three is the second half touchdown against Green Bay, which we've referenced in the NFC championship game. Uh, again, just the, the whole play is phenomenal. Cause you really, if you yes. watch the play, you see the relationship that he and Matt had because Matt's letting this ball go before Julio is clearing the linebacker underneath and talking to Matt after the game, he was like, I knew it was like, it was like, as soon as it happened, like before the ball was snapped, they knew it was a touchdown. And the second part of that is knowing how hurt Julio was. Yeah. Uh, and to watch him kick that into a gear in physically throw the corner off of him who interfered with him. Number one, let's start with that. That's P.I. That was like a shack moment. He's too big. He's too physical. They're not going to call it. So he literally doesn't complain, doesn't do anything. He throws the DB off of him and then proceeds to not only make the catch and then just take off. And it's just the, to me, that was the moment that it was, this game is in no chance. It's completely over it's a wrap shut it down and i think that i think that that touchdown ripped the heart out of green bay and it was him just taking over on a very simple route but took so much power for him to get off the press for him to shed the corner and then the speed to just outrace everybody across the field and down the sideline it, it was phenomenal
2: i again this is one that i watched today it it did not make my list i debated between Keekly or this play, because I think if we're going to think back to the iconic Julio Jones plays, those two are probably in the top five. And I just liked, I just liked the Keekly one better personally, because there are other instances of where he has taken like that slant to the house play for a, for a touchdown and just what it meant to end the Panthers 16, no season. That's why I have Keekly and not this particular play on there, but you're absolutely right. he gets, Just manhandled off of the line, but then stacks him so quickly, fights him off, and you remember that uh the Greg Jennings broken leg touchdown yeah. YouTube video? <laughs> that's, that's what it reminded me of where Julio's like, oh no, it's Darren Schapa, and then just like throws him off and keeps running down. The hottest
1: hidden safety in the league. <laughs>
2: nah, didn't matter, man. It Julio's didn't matter. the real life version of video game, uh, Greg Jennings with a broken
1: he, leg. So he is it, it didn't matter. And I just think the clutch the the clutch factor of that play uh and what it meant to the city like how loud that dome was after that. It just yep. was, it was maddening. Uh, so that's why I had to have it on mine.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Great pick. Uh, I'm going to go with my number two first, because I think there's a chance that my number two probably covers what your number two could be as well. So we can talk about it together or, or not. Yep. But my number two is all three of his 250 yard games throughout his career. Just packaging hmm. those three together, because as I said, In each of those games, there's an iconic Julio moment. You've got the most recent one, which was 250 yards against Tampa Bay, I think in 2018. Yep. And then the dive for the pylon. That, of course, is the catch and dive for the pylon, which I think was the moment in person. I've never seen somebody do anything like that before. That was my (laughs) kind of revelation where I was like, I've never seen, because I was watching him on that play before the snap, I've never seen somebody sprint so quickly get to full speed and then just stop on a dime and, and turn out with, it wasn't the the biggest window for Matt's throne. I mean, he was closing it on the sideline quickly, but then for him to make that catch and then turn and cut again upfield and keep his momentum inbounds and not play. I mean, it was, we've all seen the play phenomenal his 300 yard game against Carolina. I mean, there's, there's multiple incredible plays in that game. And then the green Bay one, which was his first one on Monday night football. Yep. Again, in the snow, they, they were only in that really because of of Julio and Matt that game. And and it was another one where not in a great season, but man, Julio continues to become one of the very best wide receivers in the NFL. So all three of those are together because he's the only NFL player in history to have more than one such game. So I like, it would just be a top five list of those particular games for me. So I cheated and put them all together at number two.
1: Yeah. You absolutely cheated. Absolutely (laughs) cheated. Uh, Ridiculous on this, but it's your podcast. You can do whatever you want. Uh, I'm here for the content. So here's the caveat to all this. That is, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it's not, those are, none of those are my number two. The 300 yard game against Carolina is my number one. Okay. Uh, And I just think what he did in that game cements him in the hall of fame. Yeah. So that is why to me that game makes the, it ends the argument because of what he did. And there's been, you know, that, that doesn't happen. And so not only does he have all these other prolific numbers, what he did in that game was phenomenal. And I just, I remember distinctly during that game and the conversations on the sidelines of, are they really going to keep doing this? It just, they're, they're just gonna They're going to run. And it was just like, you could see that Kyle and Matt were like, no, like if, if they're going to run that defense, we're doing this all day. And it wasn't yeah. even, and that was really, again, one of those games in 20 in that season that like, there was a step on their throat mentality of like, if this is what you're going to do, like, <laughs> go ahead. If they're going to do this, I'm going to, I'm going to eat all day long. But I think that's what also made him so great is that he could have that game and then go have a pedestrian game. And his in in his lore of pedestrian of like 94 yards and five catches the next week, because he understood that defenses were not going to let him do that. But if his teammates were able to get off and put up points and the team was able to win, he didn't care. And so I think that to me is why I love that game, because that was really like one of the few times besides those other two games where he went two fifty plus where a team tried to play him legit and and like kind of straight up. And it just went so bad. Like that's what would have happened if people tried that every time against him.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, 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 you're right. It's one of those where, because Julio was willing, you know, to say, Hey, look, if they're going to take me away, then they're going to take me away. But I'm going to, I'm going to let, you know, Muhammad Sanu or or Calvin Ridley or Austin Hooper, whoever be productive. That's all that matters at the end of the day, but it's nice to then also have, that player who, who says, all right, you're going to let me take 27 shots in this game and you're not going to start double covering me. I'm just going to put up 61 and and we're going to win the game by 30. You know, like, so I, I get exactly what you're saying where it's, it's that feather in the cap of, you know, not only is he one of the most consistent receivers of all time and capable of, of breakout games, but he's also capable of like breakout 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 games. If you just don't respect him the way you should. So that was your number one. Let's go with your number
1: two now. I'm going to guess then are my number two and your number one are probably the same. Probably. Uh, and it's, it, it's the catch in the Super Bowl. Yep. Uh, I, I can't, I, I am too emotionally involved, uh, to put that at one. I can't do it, uh, but I understand it and it is yeah. a, it, if it's just, again it, it's a great example of everything that he represented as a player one row is a very physical player he's a safety now like he's a very physical player big you know new england had a, that, that was going to be their game plan is to put their biggest guy they had on him they didn't want to match up against any of their smaller corners and and row tried to be physical row tried to undercut it like there was nothing that he did like it wasn't that he defended it poorly right and then to see 6'3", 220. Climb the ladder, grab that ball, and have the body awareness and ability to put his two feet down on that sideline while maintaining control of the ball. I'll never forget, I remember distinctly looking over to that sideline thinking they're going to challenge us. Because it was on our far, it was the far sideline, and thinking ah, did he get it? Did he get it? Did he get it? And you can see, I remember seeing coach Belichick, like looking up at the board, seeing if he could get a replay. And, you know, during that same time, they're listening to see if their coaches upstairs are seeing it on TV. And sure enough, like they have a great angle of it. It's the angle everyone's seeing it's shown on the jumbotron and, and coach Belichick goes from having his hand in his pocket to just looking and shaking his head. Like (laughs) we can't do like, that's it. Like we don't have anything else. Uh, And that's, that's, that's all she wrote. Yeah. So it's a, yeah, it's a, the epitome and the picture of who he is as a player.
2: To me, I think that is, and obviously I'm biased, but like, I think that is probably the greatest catch in, in NFL history with like some caveats. Like I would, I almost put catches in different categories. Like, yes, you've got the the David Tyree catch, which, but that's, that's fluky. Like nine times out of 10, you're not making that catch. Odell Beckham, his, his catch insane. But like, again, I, I, don't think that's necessarily the most replicable, but what Julio did was just all of the training that he's put in over the years. And it's a catch that is extremely hard, but makeable. And I would trust him to make that catch more often than not, because when you, you know, my, one of my favorite Mike Dubs was when Julio was in training camp a, a couple of years ago. And basically they were just on the sidelines doing sideline drills. And he was talking to to Russell Gage. and, and I think, you know, a llama day or somebody, but basically saying you want the foot furthest from your quarterback to be the first foot you plant on the sideline because you want to be able to open up your hips, look back at the quarterback and then stretch and just tap that back foot, just tap it right at the white line so that you can stay in. But by planting that the foot furthest upfield, you give yourself the biggest range and window to do that. And he does that on that play. And he does it in a split second while jumping fully extended. He's jumped probably as high as he can. Matt put the ball in a perfect place and he's double covered. Like Mm -hmm. it's just the degree of difficulty for a catch in a lot of scenarios. Like I think receivers can make, it's just, when you add the double coverage, when you add that, it's right on the sideline, when you add that, you know, he's fully stretched out and just barely has time to get that second foot down, then it becomes a play that only three or four receivers can do. And then to do it on the biggest stage to essentially you should have iced that game for your team. As the emotions from that game fade, I'm just going to be more sad that that play will probably be lost a little bit to time more than it should because it should go, in my opinion, down as probably the greatest catch of all time. If it wins you a Super Bowl, it's that Santonio Holmes play, but it's a much harder play.
1: No, I'll tell you what it is. This is way before your time. So maybe, maybe if you got some old-time listeners on here, they'll remember this play. This is what that play is. That play is Lynn Swan against the Dallas Cowboys in the Super Bowl, where he has a jungling catch over the middle, and the ball is in midair, and Swan is falling to the ground over a Dallas Cowboy, and manages to catch it in the Super Bowl. I only know that because I was born in Pittsburgh. My mom and dad had raised me as a Steeler fan, and I had a t-shirt as a kid that had that catch on it. and It's it's probably the Holmes catch is great, but that is probably one of the most iconic uh, catches in any Super Bowl yeah. uh, that's ever happened. And this, to me, in my would have been every bit of that. And that I agree with you. It, it's a shame uh, and unfortunate that probably over time it will get overlooked. Uh, I hope not. I hope NFL Films keeps it on a loop and they <laughs> show it all the time in any in anything they can. Uh, hopefully. Yeah it's in there because it shouldn't be forgotten because it's a, uh, it's just an amazing catch. And not only are there only, when you say three or four receivers, I'll even narrow it. There's maybe three or four receivers that have ever played the game that could have made that catch. The amount that went into that. And for Matt to know, I'm basically throwing this ball out of bounds. Right. But I know he's going to catch it. Like that's the trust that those two uh, had with one another uh, to make those plays.
2: Yeah, it is the classic, either my guy's going to get it or nobody will. But it's almost one of those where, no, only my guy is going to get it, period. Like Nobody else on this planet is going to get this. Um, There
1: were no 50-50 balls with Julio Jones.
2: Again, this this could have been a much, much bigger list. I think we did pretty well. Uh, So what are you up to uh, nowadays, BC? I know you keep up with the Falcons. You're not always tweeting about the falcons now because it's not your job but (laughs) but uh just you know tell people how how your life is on the west coast
1: yeah uh life is good uh like you you mentioned at the beginning working for riot games out here Uh, we've got a lot of cool stuff going on uh it's definitely been nice uh change of pace moving to this industry and kind of having a really good work-life balance and and keeping priorities in order uh it's hard uh on the sports side you lose a lot of stuff uh and you miss out on a lot of things and uh, it's hard not to be consumed. Uh, I love my time. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Have lifelong relationships from it, uh, but really enjoy uh, life here in LA and and what we have going on. Uh, my my miniature wiener dog Luigi is sitting in my lap right now. Uh, but yeah, life is good, my friend. Uh, miss you guys. Yeah, definitely still follow along on on what's going on. But it's nice, honestly, to not have to uh, to live you know 24 hours out of the day worrying about it. It's nice to enjoy and, and make sure I get a little eighteen holes in on on a Saturday. So life Man, is sounds, all good.
2: That sounds like the life,
1: you know. Dogs. Well, the L A. The L A. And... Weather definitely helps too.
2: <laughs> I the one time I was there, it was super gloomy last uh, two years ago. But apparently, I just came the wrong time of year, and I got to come back and visit you on on a better part of the calendar, and and see June, everybody who's June, June, yeah. gloom,
1: my friend, June gloom. So that's a, that's a thing. It's a real thing. I didn't realize it until I lived out here. It's a real thing. There's a lot, we live by the, uh, we're pretty close to the ocean. And so when you're in these ocean cities, there's a, uh, the clouds kind of sit around, uh, for most of the day during June. Uh, but come July, it'll be uh, a nice 75 and sunny, uh, pretty much every day. So looking forward to it.
2: All right. So I'll, I'll set it, uh, just one month later in the year. And, uh, that's all my out there because best shrimp I've ever had was with you. Uh, so Got to go back. Oh, we
1: didn't, we didn't even go to the good spots. I we know. Got a lot of, we, I know. Got, we got a yeah. lot of
2: options, and I don't even like shrimp, which is how I know, like, it, <laughs> you guys got it hooked up over there. So I, I want to be back as soon yeah. as I can. I, I love Atlanta.
1: Atlanta has a great food scene, but don't get shrimp in Atlanta. Uh, <laughs> that is a that is a Matt Haleyism. The Boston, Massachusetts native Matt Haley will tell you you do not order seafood unless you're near the coast, and somebody from Boston knows that better than anybody. So. Uh, <laughs> Take those take those words to heart.
2: I, I take all of your words to heart, uh, B.C., but <laughs> thank you so much for, uh, for agreeing to do this with me. It was a lot of fun. Um, we'll definitely have to do something like this in the future.
1: Absolutely. Always happy to come on and, and talk with you, my friend. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Bye. Bye.
2: Well, that was a jam-packed uh, episode, but thank you all for sticking with us, um, obviously. A lot of a lot of memories to share about Julio. A lot of interesting insights into how everything went down. Uh, now I think we're going to really kind of start the long NFL offseason. There's not a ton of news coming up, and hopefully not much more drama involving the Falcons. So I'm going to try to get a little bit creative over the next coming uh, weeks and months with some original content. You saw a glimpse of that today with with BC and I ranking the top five Julio Jones moments. So maybe something more along those lines, but. As always, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, Please like and subscribe and take care.
1: Thank you for listening to Believe.